Welcome to Practical Christian Living. And Jesus said to him three times, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my lambs. He put him back into ministry. He sent him back out again. Peter, I'm not done with you. This is where I needed to take you. It's through our failures that we learn so much if we can humble ourselves and allow God to restore us into what God wants from us. Have you ever felt like your failures made you unusable for God's kingdom? The God of mercy not only forgives, He restores and makes us new creations. God can use anyone with a willing heart regardless of where you think you fall short or all out lack what it takes. Jesus provides all we need when we come before Him with a humble heart. With more from our opening study in the book of 1 Peter, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. I'm persuaded at that point that Peter had completely and totally had given up. That Peter felt like at this point, I'm not worthy to be a disciple. I'm going to go back to fishing. The only thing that I know how to do, I'm going to go back to fishing. And so when he gets to Tiberias, when he gets to Galilee, where he's supposed to meet Jesus, remember when Mary Magdalene saw Jesus and Jesus said, go and tell the disciples that I'm alive and tell them that I want to meet them and Peter by the Sea of Galilee. He tells her to call Peter by name. Why? Is it, you know, because Peter was just always the one in trouble? Was it that Peter wasn't going to go? That's what I think. I think Peter didn't see himself as a disciple anymore. And he knew if he went to go tell the disciples, Peter would say, that's not me. I denied him. I'm no longer a disciple. So go tell the disciples and Peter. And so they go, they tell the disciples and Peter, he told you to be there too. Peter probably went, what does that mean? Am I a disciple or not? Tell the disciples and Peter to go. How did he sound when he said it? Did he sound angry? Did he sound mad? He called me by name. And so they go to, to meet Jesus and Peter says, I'm going fishing. I'm sure he thought I need to, I've been fishing for a few years. I need to get sharp again. I need to knock the rust off this fishing thing. And so he goes fishing. They fish all night. And they don't catch anything. I think it's funny that every time that we see Peter fishing, he doesn't catch anything. Again, God, I think, was just not letting him do it. God was like, you can't, you can't go back to fishing, buddy. I am not going to let you. No matter what. He couldn't have been that bad of a fisherman. He made, it, he, was, he made his living fishing. He couldn't have been that bad. And so all of a sudden, Jesus appears on the shore. And boys, have you caught anything? No. Throw your net on the other side of the boat, which is always funny. It's a boat. It's like you're throwing it on the other side of a river or something. Throw it on the other side of the boat. Throws the net on the other side and they catch fish. And John, who was the one at the cross, says it's the Lord. And Peter just like Peter, throws off his outer coat and dives into the water, swims up to shore where he sees Jesus. Finally, Jesus has a meal prepared for him. And he sits down and they're eating their fish. And I take it that they're eating it in silence. And Jesus says, Simon, get the name that he called him by. Simon, yeah. It had to reinforce everything he was thinking. I'm done. He calls the disciples and me to be here. What's he going to tell me now? Simon, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I like you. Jesus said, Simon, do you love me? You declared your love for me greater than all the other disciples. Do you love me? Do you agape me? 
And Peter responded with, I, I phileo you. Two different words, three, four different words in Greek for love, but those two distinct words, one means a commitment that is a decision, a commitment to love, unconditional love. The other means friendship. So when Jesus says, Simon, do you agape me? He says, Lord, you know I phileo you. And he says to him a second time, Simon, yeah. Do you, do you agape me? You know I, I phileo you. Then he said to him a third time, Simon, do you phileo me? He switched the words. Jesus the third time went down to the word that, that Peter used. It was as if he was saying to Peter, Peter, do you even, do you even like me? The Bible says that Peter's heart was, was struck and full of sorrow because he said to him a third time, do you like me? Do you even like me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know it all. Boy, that's a good confession, isn't it? How far he's come from the man that pointed at the other disciples and said, even though these guys deny you, I will never deny you. Now, Lord, you know everything and you know I like you. You know I phileo you. I wish that, that Peter would have said at the end, Lord, you know everything and you know I agape you. It'd be just awesome, wouldn't it? If he went back to that word, that, but he didn't. His heart was broken over his sin. He felt that he had been, uh, well, he disqualified himself. And so he says, you know, I, I like you. And Jesus said to him three times, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my lambs. He put him back into ministry. He sent him back out again. Peter, I'm not done with you. This is where I needed to take you. It's through our failures that we learn so much if we can humble ourselves and allow God to restore us into what God wants from us. And so for Peter to write his name down here, for Peter to start the letter off by saying, Peter, Peter, an apostle of, of Jesus Christ. He had learned what the word apostle means. We had talked Sunday some about Peter, thinking that he was greater than anybody else, any of the other disciples. The funny thing is, is that it seems that God chose a disciple that wasn't even there to give him that position, and that's Paul. Paul wrote, as I said, far more of the, the Old New Testament than any of the other disciples. But to be an apostle was to be part of the foundation of the church. The, the foundation of the church was built on the prophets, meaning the Old Testament prophecies that were given, and the apostles. That's what Ephesians 5.20 tells us. The church was built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. It was built on what we find in the Old Testament, and it was built on what the apostles said and wrote when they brought scripture to us. So it's built on them. An apostle was a, a position of authority. They had been given the authority to, to do miracles and to heal. That was a sign that they had been given the authority to teach the truth. So they could do miracles while they were writing the New Testament so that people would believe them. Our foundation for what we believe is the word of God. We say, why do we believe that? Because the Bible says this. Why do I believe that? Because the Bible says this. The word of God has become our foundation. For them, they didn't have a foundation. They were saying, this is what the word of God is. And so God gave them the signs as apostles of being able to do the miracles that Jesus was able to do. Even as the miracles revealed who Jesus was, the miracles revealed who the apostles were. Not that they had divinity as Jesus did, but that they were doing the work of Jesus and that they did the miracles that they did. And so Peter starts off here by saying, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. 
to the pilgrims of the dispersion. Now, the dispersion, boy, it's a little confusing. It's exactly what dispersion they're talking about. The Jewish people had been dispersed on many different occasions. Uh, The Jewish people had been dispersed from Rome by Claudius. The emperor Claudius had dispersed them. Uh, They had been dispersed from Jerusalem. There's going to be another dispersion in 66. This is written around 64, 65. There'll be another dispersion from, from Jerusalem. The Jewish people had been dispersed after Nebuchadnezzar. And then the Christians, the Christian Jews, had been dispersed by the Jewish persecution. So that the gospel had gone out to these different areas, eventually all the way over to Europe, had gone out into these communities of Jewish people that had been dispersed, and then Christians that had been dispersed as well among them. So is he talking about the Jews that were dispersed and living in communities all around Asia Minor and all around Macedonia? Or was he talking about the Christians that had gone out being dispersed by the Jewish persecution, the first persecution, and were dispersed by that? Probably both. They were dispersed. They had been dispersed. They had been persecuted. They had had to to turn and flee. He says to the pilgrims, the word pilgrim there is sojourner. It's a good place for this book to start. To remember that you and I are pilgrims. Not that we wear tall black hats with a buckle on them or black clothes with a white bow tie, but that we are sojourners. We're nothing more than pilgrims. We're We're just passing through. Their home wasn't in Cappadocia or Bithynia or Asia, these other places that he's going to point out in a moment. But their, their true home was in heaven. And time goes by fast here. We really belong in heaven. That is really our home. We are citizens of heaven. And Peter brings that up right away to the pilgrims, to the sojourners. They needed to hear that because of the persecution that they were under. The persecution was so severe from from Nero and spread through the world so rapidly that there's none of them that wouldn't have been touched by the persecution. They would have heard of their friends that gave their lives for Christ. The persecution would be so wide-reaching that both Paul and Peter would be killed under the reign of Nero. History says that Paul was beheaded by a command from Nero. Some question that. History tells us that Peter was crucified, but not before he watched his wife be crucified. That the command went out for for Peter. We don't ever see Peter's wife mentioned in Scripture. His mother-in-law is mentioned. Paul mentions his wife. He says, don't I have the right to bring around a wife? He's saying, he's saying, I chose not to, but wouldn't I have a right to be able to bring around a wife like the other apostles, like Peter, like Cephas, who has his wife? So his wife went and traveled with him. And history says that his wife was crucified first and that he encouraged her with the words, remember the Lord, remember the Lord while she was being crucified. And then when they turned to him to crucify him, that he begged to be crucified upside down because he was not worthy to be crucified the same as the Lord. That would be not long after the books of First and Second Peter were written that he would find himself in that place. His pilgrimage was almost done. We are just sojourners. We're just passing through. And when there's persecution, when there's struggles, when there's difficulties, it's good for us to remember that. 
This is not our home. And the natives aren't friendly. They don't like you. And they don't like me. But Jesus says, don't be surprised that they hate you. They hated me first. And it's not you they hate. It's the Lord that they hate. To the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. All of those places are in what is modern-day Turkey. In fact, it's almost a complete map of what would be modern-day Turkey today. Asia Minor, what it was known in those days as Asia Minor. This is the seat of where the gospel went first of all. It spread from there. It spread into Africa. It spread into Asia. It spread into Europe. But that was the seat of where the gospel went first. It's funny we don't think of that, huh? We don't think of Turkey in that way. But that was the place that God chose to take the gospel from from Israel, from Jerusalem, and send it out to get its roots there. And getting its roots caused them to dig deeper by the persecution that they faced. He says then in verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. (laughs) When I told my son today, what I was going to teach on. He said, you're not going to talk about predestination, are you? I know he might be a little tired of me talking about predestination, but how can you not talk about predestination when you read elect according to the foreknowledge of God? There's controversy today about salvation. Some believe that God chooses whom he chooses and that if you're chosen, you can't be lost. And God curses who he curses or dismisses who he dismisses, and that if you're, you're chosen to not be saved, you can't be saved. That's funny to me that when I hear their teachings, because I don't believe that, by the way, but when I hear their teachings, it's funny to me that I never hear them put it in those terms. They never draw it the way that they teach, that, that they really believe it and teach it. And that is limited atonement. They believe that there are some who have been born, who cannot call out upon God and be saved. They believe that there are some, and they, they, they believe themselves to be of that group that have been chosen and can't be lost. My question to them often is, how do you know you're of the chosen group? Because only those who endure to the end will be saved. So the Bible says. So the only way that you will know you're of that chosen group is if you endure to the end. And if you don't endure to the end. So the, the crazy thing about it is, that this uber form of of Calvinism, this extreme form of Calvinism, takes away security. In in my eyes, now they say they've got total security. I'm not sure. I I, I haven't been able to follow them on how they got their security. How, How do you have your security? How do you know that you're one of the chosen ones? The only way you know is if you endure to the end. But I have complete security because the Bible says all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The Bible says God desires all to be saved and all to come to the knowledge of the truth. It says that twice, by the way, not just once, but twice, that God desires all to be saved. It doesn't say God desires some to be saved or only the elect to be saved, but God desires that all would be saved and would come to the knowledge of the truth. So what does it mean when it says elect? It means that God calls us, God draws us, and God chooses whom he draws 
doesn't mean that everybody that's drawn by God makes a decision to respond. And it doesn't mean that responding is somehow has any merit in it at all. In fact, to the world, the cross is foolishness. It's not this merit that you suddenly decided to become a Christian. It's that you chose to respond to the draw that God had for you. And in choosing to do that, there's no merit in it. You can't save yourself. It's not your idea. You are completely depraved. You can only come to Christ by being drawn to Him. But the Bible does say, choose you this day whom you will serve. And if God has chosen, as He says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever. If God has chosen to have faith be that whoever believes doesn't matter what their character is. It doesn't matter what their background is. Doesn't matter what their race is. Doesn't matter what their sex is. Doesn't matter where they've come from or what they've done. If God has chosen that whoever will call upon his name can be saved, then who are you to tell God he can't do that? Who are you to say that God's not sovereign if he has sovereignly chose to give salvation to those who believe? And you can't read Romans chapter 9 in an isolated fashion, as if it's not connected to Romans chapter 10. How can they hear if there's not preachers? And how will there be preachers if they're not sent? How are they going to believe if they can't hear? That's Romans 10. And that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you believe, confess with your mouth, then you will be saved. I believe that God elects. I believe he chooses. I believe he calls. I believe I could never come to him if he hadn't called me and chosen me. But God has also chosen that if I would believe him, that he would save me. And that I can be sure that I've believed in him. And then I've got security, which is the crazy thing. The security that I have is that if I stay close to Jesus, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you ask whatever you want, it'll be given to you. That if I abide in Jesus, that I've got great security in him. The person who says, well, if I'm chosen, I'm chosen. If I'm not, I'm not. You say, well, I've, uh, I've made a commitment. Therefore, I know I'm chosen. Yeah, but there are people who've made commitments and then walked away from God. So what about them? You're saying that if you ever make a, a decision and then you walk away from God, that that decision proves that you're the elect? If that's the case, there'll be a lot more people in heaven than you think. Because there's a lot of people who have made decisions for Christ and then walked away, not followed through with the commitment. Jesus even speaks of four different kinds of soils. Some that receive the word of God with all joy, and then the weeds choke it out. What about them? When it says here, elect by his foreknowledge, the word foreknowledge, prognosco or prognosis, some say, literally means foreknowledge. Even though they'll try to say it doesn't mean foreknowledge, it means predetermined. In Romans 8, 28, 29, it says, whom, 29, whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Meaning that God knows the decisions that you would make. And then he predestined you according to those decisions. They say, well, the word really means predetermined. That God doesn't really, and they'll even... In the, in the extreme form, they even deny that God has foreknowledge. 
They'll say, God doesn't know what's going to happen, but God has predetermined everything. And in doing that, they make God complicit in sin because they say God predetermined everything. He predetermined the evil, evil people do. By doing that, if you say that God predetermined rape and molestation, you make God a part of that. But by saying that God predetermined those who he predestined, well, predetermined and predestined mean the same thing. So the statement doesn't make sense. Whom God predetermined, he predestined. They say that God didn't, doesn't foreknow anything, but God makes everything happen. And so elect by his, his predetermining is what they would say that this verse says. That's not the word pro-gonosco. Gonosco is to know whom God foreknew and elected by the foreknowledge of God. I'm not saying that, that men are in any way in control of their future. I'm not saying that men can in any way save themselves. Whenever that side begins to argue against what I believe, which is, a, I think, a very neutral position, a very balanced position, they'll, they'll build a straw man. Well, if you say that you are saved because you believed in, in Jesus, and that's what I say because the Bible says that, Yes, I say that. Well, then you believe that you are sovereign. How in the world do you get that? I don't believe I'm sovereign. I think I'm, I'm the farthest thing from sovereign. I can't even make happen what I want to happen with my kids. <laughs> How can I be sovereign over my life? What a, what a silly statement. If you believe that you're saved by believing in Jesus, then you, you make yourself sovereign. Well, I don't, you know what? I'm clueless of what you're talking about. And you probably go, well, that's because you're dumb. And if you were smart, you'd understand it. Well, you've got the same argument going for you the evolutionists have as well. <laughs> that I'm just dumb as a rock and I don't get it. And if I were smart and intellectual, then I would get it. If you're going to make the arguments, then don't make straw men arguments that can easily be torn down. Obviously, if we believe that we're saved by, by calling upon the name of Jesus, we don't believe that we're sovereign. We just believe we've been given a choice. And the world doesn't like the choice. To the Jew, it's a stumbling block. And to the Greek, to the intellectual, it's foolishness. You have to humble yourself to make the choice. That's why the world today says Christianity is nothing more but a, than a crutch. It's just a crutch you lean on. By the way, I have no idea what time it really is. Um, is it 7.15? 13. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Pablo. All right. Um, so we'll finish uh, verse two next time, and I'll probably talk more about predestination next week as well. So stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. I shouldn't even have got into it yet. Father, we want to thank you as we look at these two verses, and we see that you have called us as pilgrim sojourners in a place where people don't like us, in a place where they don't like you. And we've been called to go out among those who don't like us and don't like you and bring the message of the gospel to them. And Lord, even as there are those being persecuted and giving their lives because they're Christians today, so Lord, we give our lives to you. We look for you to do your work in us. And we learn so much by Peter and we look forward to the things that he shares with us here in this, in this book. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.